0: sometimes no words are needed dropped into the middle of a desolate desert you see a mountain with its summit shining far away in the distance you look around and there is simply nothing else with no reason to go in any other direction you decide to head towards the only recognizable landmark around and so begins journey an award-winning video game originally released for the PlayStation 3 on March 13th, 2012. Commonly notated as one of the greatest video games of all time, Journey is recognized by many as a moving and emotional experience and manages to accomplish a rarity in modern gaming. It manages to tell an entire story with no dialogue and only a few short hours. Today, we're going to be taking a look back at 2012's journey and discuss what exactly makes it so special to gamers everywhere. We'll talk more about the hero's journey in itself and discuss whether or not action or story is more important to gaming as a whole. And unlike this game, we'll be using a whole lot of words as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game during the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we try to teach you something new about the game and the world around it. So yes, Maybe we are a bit of an educational podcast, but we like to disguise ourselves as a feel-good nostalgia trip. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, who I think is really good at saying a lot with a whole little. Uh. My brother. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) A little early. (laughs) My brother and co-host, Rob Kesson. Rob, where have you journeyed today? Obviously somewhere that has a, a, a beverage
1: say the land of good eats and drinks
0: oh my god i'm leaving that in that was good timing hell yeah it was you know i normally edit your little belches out but that one's staying in Uh, that's there for posterity
1: that one was actually far from my mic too like i wasn't intending on that being picked up by the mic (laughs) i was like totally away from my mic when i did that
0: oh my god No wonder you didn't want to talk a moment ago. It was going to come out accidentally. Well, no, I
1: was still in the middle eating my hot dogs. Oh, that
0: explains a thing or two. So that's the question. Where have you journeyed today? Uh, to work and back. Hey, that's okay. Same with me. I went to work and back, too. (sighs) So, man, we haven't really hung out lately. What you been up to? What you playing these days?
1: Just a whole lot of Tarkov. And that's. A little bit of RuneScape mixed in here and there. Have they done anything new with Tarkov lately? I mean, there's always small patches and changing of like the economy and stuff, but like nothing game breakingly different that I'm aware of. I, I, I don't read the patch notes as
0: religiously as some do. Did you see that No Man's Sky has a companions update? I had not. You can tame animals now and keep them as companions. Hmm. So now you can have pets. I haven't had a chance to try it yet.
1: It sounds pretty cool, though.
0: I finally got around to playing Raft.
1: Yeah, what do you think?
0: It has a really steep curve in the early game that I, I'm not in love with, but it's starting to level out in the middle, and I'm getting okay with it. It it I don't I don't know. I like it on one hand because it's survival, and I don't like it because I feel like it's I feel like it's still unbalanced. Like I spend an inordinate amount of time balancing my hunger and thirst to actually enjoy myself. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I haven't gotten to the large islands yet. Have you played far enough in to get to the large islands like the ones you have to like, you know, use a antennas to find type deal?
1: Uh, I think we found one, but I don't recall.
0: Did you find a radio station by any chance? Yes. Okay, so that's the first thing. So yeah, you guys did the antenna and receiver part.
1: I guess I don't recall doing that. That's the start of
0: the start of the story is building an antenna and receivers, and you get you know your first thing is you get to a radio station. We're just starting that part. We're just now getting to all the advanced stuff on the raft. You know, like we built a stationary anchor. And advanced, you know, advanced purifier and grill, which makes it easier to balance your foods. But it's just such a balancing act that the other people I'm playing with are not in love with. Because it just feels like it feels like we've, we've put four hours into the game getting to the point where we can survive. Now we're moving on to the story. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, Dave, you know where you don't have to worry about that kind of grind in the game we're talking about today. Right, you are. So why don't you tell the people about it?
0: You can do that. So today we're going to look at Journey. Journey is an indie adventure game originally released for the PlayStation 3 on March 13th, 2012. So about nine years ago. Three years later, in 2015, it was ported to the PS4 with some improved visuals. And then it was brought to both Windows PCs and iOS in the summer of 2019. Like so many other games we talk about, though, getting to this point was not smooth sailing. Journey was the last of a three game contract that the developer, one word that game company, had signed with Sony Computer Entertainment, their first two games being Flow and Flower. Before I move on, have you had any experience with Flow or Flower, Rob? Uh, didn't, uh, I've never even heard of them. Okay, gotcha. When I originally got this game, Journey, it, it was a collector's edition, and that collector's edition was, it had all three titles in it. I wasn't sure how you had stumbled across it. Yeah, so it was the last of three games. The first was Flow, and the second was Flower, which were moderately successful. So when development on Journey began, you know, the, the Sony had expected to take a year, and the development team kind of agreed to this timeline. However, they knew right from the get-go that it was unrealistic and that they would need an extension. The producer of Journey, she's done GDC, Game Development Conference Talks, Robin, Robin Hunicky, And she would later go on record as saying, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that we signed an unrealistic schedule, believing in our hearts of hearts that it would probably be extended later, and we paid for that stress in the entire project you know, the stress kind of hung over them like a dark cloud and it added to other issues. You know, for one, during development, the team went from 7 to 18 people, which isn't a huge jump, but when you're used to working with 5 to 7 people, doubling the size of your team, you just, you have to do things that you're not used to. You know, you, you have to communicate differently and you have to plan accordingly and, and just work with this stuff, you know? Right. And they weren't they, they weren't used to doing this. Also, as they brought in all these new people, all these new people had all these new ideas that they brought to the team and they really didn't have anything in place to 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 deal with this. You know, you would later mention that, you know, we had eyes that were much bigger than our stomachs. While we were iterating or creating different versions, as it's called, there were many ideas that we chucked. They just didn't seem right. Being attached to those features and ideas, but being unwilling to expand the team or process the ideas in ways that made them feasible in a realistic period was very costly to them, you know, to us or them as a team. So basically what was happening is these changes were happening and the stress of not meeting expectations was hovering over them, which led everyone to feel like there was no time, no money to complete everything that the team wished for, which added to the stress. And caused arguments about the design of the game. And so it's funny and ironic. The theory of Journey, it's, it's based, and we're going to learn more about it. It's based on a literary theory that's literally circular. And the development team was stuck in their own, you know, vicious cycle. The same concept, just in the negative sense, that they couldn't get around, you know the hero's journey is based on adventure crisis and transformation. And literally that's what the development team went through too. You know, Hey, we get to build this great game. Oh no, we can't build this great game. Oh, we're well, we're going to have to change and find a way to build this great game. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool the way it all shook out. And so they started with one year and then one year became two and then one more year than that really wasn't enough. And so it would take a little more than three years to get us to the award-winning game that we have before us today we we talk we talk about development a lot and it doesn't rob doesn't it feel like there's a lot of different doesn't it feel like we frequently find ourselves in here like games just don't seem to be made smoothly
1: i mean i i guess i wouldn't think that that's surprising being that everything that should be simple never is there's always some kind of hiccup but you know it does seem that some of the greatest game have faced some of the hardest troubles and maybe that's what made it so great is because they overcame that
0: adversity and you know created a, a product that they could be truly proud of That's very true can you like one thing I will give them credit for is they sure as heck made the game they wanted right I mean let's be honest, there are many other games it's a it's a widespread problem that we have right now. There are many games that if Sony had said you get one year to do it, they would have put out an unfinished game in a year. You, you know what I mean? Absolutely. The game it is today, which is I mean, it's an awesome game. Let, let's talk a let's talk about journey, shall we? That we shall. So Journey starts off I, I mean, it doesn't give you much. You know, you're you start out your roped figure, red robes, and you start out at a desert. Uh it starts out with you sitting in the sand after a little introduction, and it honestly it really doesn't give you much. It doesn't, does it? Does it give you anything?
1: Mm, no, I, I don't believe it does, Dave. Mm,
0: yeah, no. Uh, you're 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 sitting in the sand and, and it game just kind of waits for you to to press buttons or move move the joystick and figure out what happens. And what you find out is that you can walk with one analog stick and you can move the camera with the other, pretty standard. There's a button that lets you jump, and then the other emits a little musical tone. You could could press it for a little ding, or you can hold it for a lengthy note, which is more like, a I guess, a shout is what it represents. Your character wears a scarf, which allows it to fly. It's kind of a a magical scarf, and there are glowing runes on the scarf that, as you fly, they disappear. So it's kind of like showing you the charge that your flying has. And that's, that's it. You, you kind of left to figure this all on yourself, figure this all out by yourself. I should say, am am I missing anything?
1: I mean, there are some prompts that tell you what to do at certain points. Like, Hey, you obviously don't know what you're doing. Press this button here.
0: A pitch, a picture of the controller comes on picture of the controller with the button lit up comes on realistically. Isn't that what it is? Sure. But there's no words. No, there's not a single word. Not a there's single no, word. There's no. Nope. Yeah, there's no words. There's no instruction. The only
1: words that are said are "thank you for playing Journey" and then the credits.
0: Yeah. 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 As you progress through the desert, you know, and the, and other areas later on, your scarf gets kind of recharged by being near matching what are which are basically matching pieces of red cloth, more akin to what your scarf is. If you sing near them, they come to you. Or if you you know emit you you know you sing near other pieces of cloth, they'll do things like open a door, they'll create a bridge, they'll unlock. Uh, you know, there's parts where other sh- scraps of cloth are locked away, and they'll open them up so you can use them to fly. Um, and th- this is basically how you get places. You know, you find these little scraps of cloth, and you you use them to you know make bridges or or do other stuff like that. And also along the way, you'll come across these really cute like they look like flying carpets to me, you know, flying creatures of cloth. And then there are stone creatures that are hostile to you when when they capture you, they rip parts of your scarf off. And that's really the entirety of Journey. And I know I don't make it sound that interesting, but it is really an awesome game. It's it's just it's an absolutely awesome game. Anything I missed in them in the midst there? Hmm. You want to talk it up more? I, I don't I don't think you missed a whole lot. You explained
1: the game pretty well. There's really not a whole lot to it.
0: Well, let's talk about what's probably the most fascinating part. As you're going on this journey, you come across other robed figures that look identical to you. And at first, a lot of people assume that these are AI-controlled creatures. You know, they're they're in the landscape. They're moving around. They're emitting chimes, but they're—they are in fact other players on their own identical journeys, and that's what makes Journey really unique and special to a lot of people. Journey is designed in stages, and in, in each stage, you—you you may stumble across another another player gamer that's temporarily temporarily connected to your game. You know, and there are no other controls than the ones we've already talked about. So the only ways to communicate really are well to jump or sing. You know, that's that's it. You want someone to come over there? You go over here and you go ding ding ding. You want someone to go over there? Ding ding ding. I mean, that's really it. There's no verbal communicate, there's no traditional communication like we have in most games with with chat, voice chatter, text chatter, anything like that, you know. All you can really do is signal and and communicate with another player, and, and the way that comp- you can interact with other players is is when you, you can sing near one another. You activate the cloth on your scarf so you can technically help one another to where to go. Or like I said, you can move over to another area and and ding 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 to get them to go over there. But you can't really do anything else with them. I mean, you can literally ignore other players. They they can't hinder you. They aren't necessary for completing any level. But I I. I don't know. I've never really had anyone ignore me personally. It is possible. I've never gotten to experience this, but it is possible to have the same partner through almost the whole game. If two players finish the same section at the same time, they'll remain together into the next stage. Otherwise, if they don't finish at the same time, you're connected to a new player each time you move into a new stage. And as you move through, the way you identify as each player is... The little musical, it's like a symbol that they emit when they do their musical note and on their robes. And every person in your game technically has its own unique symbol. But uh, yeah, that'll I think that's about everything, isn't it? Yeah, that it is. Did you have a chance to play Journey, Rob? That I did,
1: Dave. I got a chance to play it uh, first time ever experiencing it. I did play it on computer, so the controls are a little different. But the premise is exactly the same.
0: Did you have uh, so multiplayer? Let's talk about it from the multiplayer aspect. Did you journey with other people?
1: You know, I came across one other rubbed figure and I assumed that it was a, an AI because you know, they didn't really interact with me. They just kind of followed and like flew around, didn't really do a whole lot. So I just figured it was just, you know, another an AI character, just like the cloths. And it was kind of like, oh, cool. Another rogue person. That's interesting. And then I just continued on with my journey and I didn't run across a single other one. And that was like the second. No, that was the sand. So like this. Yeah, like the first level still Mm -hmm. the first act. Yeah. And I didn't run across anyone else in the remaining acts.
0: When did you realize or find out that it was another person?
1: Just now when you told me that there were multiplayers. No way. A hundred percent. I had no idea until you had said that. I thought it was
0: A.I. Did you watch the credits? Did you finish the Did you finish your journey?
1: I did finish the journey, although I admittedly didn't read the watch the credits.
0: Okay, so you missed something very special about this game. Uh Oh, the credit sequence has a falling star, right? You got did you get to that point? All right. So the falling star covers its path back through all the ways that you had gone. And it ends up in the beginning with the option to let you start the journey again. It's a circular journey and the very last page in the credits it goes thank you for sharing this wonderful journey with these the fi- with the, with the other journeyers and it shows you the names of everyone else that was in the game with you throughout your journey oh which is really cool cuz cuz this time i i journey with no less than 8 people and each person has their own unique that symbol that they have it has mm-hmm. their own unique symbol and it puts their screen name next to it and so you can see the the screen names of every every other journeyer that you you got to experience through your entire game. It's the last page of the credits. Damn! Wish I had uh, stayed around and watched that now. Yeah, it's 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 neat because it, for a lot of people, that's the truth. You know, when you don't know what you're going into, and and I'm going to assume most people listening to this are are already going to know. Um, you know, when you don't know what you're going into. And you stumble across them, it is you don't you don't understand it, it's another player. But there are no there's no AI built into this game whatsoever. Every other road figure that you come across while playing this game is another actual person. Like I said, I originally had this for the PlayStation 3 and the Collector's Edition, played it, played it back, I I don't remember when that came out, maybe 2013, I'm assuming. I bought it again on the PS4. I don't know why I bought it on the PlayStation Network. I was, you know, trying to find it on you know, my PlayStation account and realized I didn't have it on the PS4 and it was on sale for five bucks on the PlayStation network. So I just bought it again. And, uh, so I played on the PlayStation and I, I, I kind of was worried because I assumed that for as old as this game is, is that I wasn't, I was going to miss that aspect this time around you know, that there really wasn't a player base for this game. So I was pleasantly surprised, like I said, to find that I had I had found eight, no less than eight other people, you know, throughout my journey. Actually I didn't even know there was eight. I really thought I only saw like two or three, but maybe I, I was the person that was just ignoring people as I went through the game <laughs> the game.
1: You know, it makes me wonder if there were more than just the one that I ran into.
0: Yeah. I played this like I said, I played this back then and I remember the from the multiplayer aspect, the first time I played this, I didn't really understand what was going on. And that time, I, I other people showed me what to do the first time through. Like, I needed them to help me with puzzles and to say, hey, jump up here, or, you know, here's a mosaic, because you find mosaics through it. Like, I needed people to help me through the game. And that wasn't the case this time. This time it was, I guess this last time I was the I was not the lead, I was the follower, and this time I was the leader. If that makes sense for how I went about the game, it does. I didn't I needed help this time. So let's talk about journey setting. Right, journey as we mentioned before is a wordless story told through gameplay and visual cutscenes. So there are no words or dialogue or Heck, there's not even really any sound effects, uh, are are there? I mean, really, the only thing you have are the visuals and the music.
1: I mean, there, there's obviously the noise of the music note dinging, and then some of the other, like, you hear fluttering of the other rags, or, like, when certain things move, the
0: uh, stone creatures. That's true, the stone creatures have sounds. Hey, speaking of the music, I, you know, I, I didn't really know where to add this, but I'm going to speak to it now. Did you know the music in this is is dynamic and programmed and like it's programmed? It's not like a a basic soundtrack. It's designed in such a way that as you do certain things, it transitions cues in the music to change the music based on what you're doing. And so the music ebbs and swells and changes with with how you play the game, actually. Hmm. And that fascinating. It is because, frankly, I love the music. Like the journey to me is an absolute zen game. I forgot how much of a zen game it is. It is such a. It was such a. You, you ever have trouble sleeping and you put on one of those like sleep help, like soundtracks? that's kind of new wave type music type deal. No, you've never done that before. Nope. Okay. Well, zen. Th- this is this is what journey feels to me. Journey totally feels like. It was totally a cool two hours of chilling and just getting lost in this world and and zoning out to everything else. It was super nice. Back to setting. Well, let's go back to the beginning, shall we? We talked about the beginning. So you start on a small sand dune in a vast desert and your character is sitting. You know, there's no other direction, nothing else around you except for a dune in the distance. And you walk to the top of the dune. Where your attention's drawn to a large, mysterious mountain in the distance. Uh, more specifically, your attention's driven to a glowing crevice that splits its peak. That—that that, an accurate description of how the game starts? Uh,
1: yes, it is.
0: Okay. And then, what do you remember? Because you—I mean, you and I have both played it in the past. I mean, I played it on Sunday. I'm assuming you played it in the past couple of days too. What do you remember from there? Like mountain, glowing crevice, peak. Like, what's next?
1: I remember seeing some kind of thing sticking out of the sand dune and, and
0: figuring that's where I had to go. Cause everything else was just desert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So almost immediately in front of you in the direction of the desert are the remnants of a, a, a civilization that's, that's pretty much gone. It's, it's mostly buried in the sand and it, uh, these remnants are like little statues and, and markers that are mostly buried But realistically, they're the only landmarks anywhere. And so it's the only reason for you to move in any direction, unless you want to just move into the desert. I never even tried that personally. And that's the way the game is designed. It just it 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 gives you there's not much, but it gives you it gives you no reason to go other than the direction it wants you to, frankly, and just keeps moving you towards the mountain. And this is really nice because one of the design ideas that's that's really shown here, even in the beginning, is that the game designers intended to make the players feel really small and give you a sense of awe about the surroundings. I, I mean, honestly, Rob, you're you're put in the middle of the desert. What's what are you what are you thinking at that moment? Um, why am I here? What do I do? Yeah. Well, and it's different, you know, because these developers wanted to create a game that that moves beyond the typical defeat, kill, win mentality, right? One of their initial prototypes that they had nicknamed Dragon, it basically involved gameplay that involved... It was a co-op gameplay where one player would have to draw away large monsters like the stone monsters from the other players. They had to scrap the idea because they found that it was really relatively too easy for players to ignore one another and do whatever they wanted to do. And their gameplay was largely based on this concept of co-op and not everyone wants to play that way.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: The desert setting, why we start in the desert. So the desert setting is largely based on the Middle East. You know, it takes influence from Arabic culture, art and architecture. And what had happened, what had happened was I love when whenever when I was in management and an employee used to start a story with what had happened was those are on the top of my list of stories. I love what had happened was stories, just to be clear. What had happened was, when designing this game, director Matt Chen and art director Matt Nava, they didn't want the game setting to be too eastern or too western, and so they felt that an appropriate middle ground was, well, what else but the, the Middle East. It's kind of cliche, isn't it? What's not east? What's not west? The middle! My god. Uh, okay. I mean, come on, man. It, it's I don't know. And then the game director, Matt Chen, grew up in China so in these areas, and I think more so later on, you see a lot of other culture influences such as ti- Chinese and Tibetan origins, like the, the latter part of the game, you're in snow, you know, and a lot of, uh, you know, that's the mountains of Tibet type deal. And then we already talked about the fact that the game doesn't give you anything, you know, they, they wanted to develop a game that used minimalism to make the game feel more intuitive to the player so they could explore and feel a sense of wonder without direct instructions. And so all of these aside, in order to design a story, they wanted to design a story that represented the stages of life. And they also took influence from Joseph Campbell's monomyth theory of narrative. Now, you might be asking yourself right now, Dave, what the hell is Joseph Campbell's monomyth theory of narrative? Repeat that after me, Rob.
1: What the hell is Joseph Campbell's monomyth theory of narrative?
0: That's a good question, Rob, which is going to bring us to today's lesson. Aren't you excited?
1: To learn about what's colloquially known as the hero's journey, I sure am.
0: (laughs) Man, I don't get to geek out very much. I mean, I guess I geek out all the time. But for those of you that don't know, I have both a history degree and a lit degree. And while I get to talk about history all the time... I don't get to delve into the literature side of my academic career very often. But here we are today and we get to talk about, I mean, what is one of the most it's standard fair for for lit lit majors, screenwriters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just the Herald's Journey is like the quintessential narrative theory for much of writing. And, and you'll see it in a lot. And so, what the the Rob? Before I even go into this, can you ever remember having to learn about the hero's journey? Um, you know, I I've definitely learned something
1: similar. Well, no, I've, I've I mean, I I have to know what the hero's journey is. Yes, I've I know what the hero's journey is. I've learned about the hero's journey.
0: Well, there's modernized versions of it. I think uh, Vogel made the most modern one, but the the you know OG of the hero's journey is Joseph Campbell, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. So the hero's journey is a very common template for story writing that involves a hero who goes on an adventure, is victorious in a decisive crisis, and then comes home changed or transformed. That's, That's the core of the hero's journey. It was popularized by Joseph Campbell, who was an American lit professor that worked in comparative mythology and comparative religion. And in 1949, he wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Which like I said is pretty much standard reading for anyone studying lit or writing. It, it's it's all up there. And the hero's journey, there are 17 stages to it divided up between what are essentially three acts. And you can you can Google the hero's journey. I'll put a, a link up on our website. And you come up with a million images that basically show what the hero's journey is. The Monomyth is basically a, a circular, uh, you know, a circular journey. The one thing to know as we go through this is you'll hear bits and pieces from a lot, but not every narrative has to go through all 17 stages. But in some way, shape or form, most narrative journeys will go through. I mean, this is just you'll you'll hear it. This is very common. So the first act to the hero's journey is called Departure. And within the first act, the very first stage to it is called the call to adventure in the call to adventure the hero begins in a situation of normality from which some information is received that acts as a call to head off into the unknown can we think of star wars star wars luke skywalker starts off as a moisture farmer and he comes across r2d2 with the message right and he goes off. That's your call. Uh, that's your information. And he heads off into the unknown to find out who Obi-Wan Kenobi is. Because in, in the Star Wars message, it's help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope, right? Did I get that right? I got that right. Am I, am I talking Greek to you, Rob?
1: You're talking Star Wars, Dave. You know that's not Greek to me.
0: Okay, well, but you're on. we're on the same page. That's the call to adventure. I can go more modern. Harry Potter. Harry Potter is living under the stairs at, uh, what is it, 4 Privet Drive or whatever it is. And an owl delivers a letter that says, you've been accepted to Hogwarts. The call to adventure. How about that one? Yeah, yeah, I get that one too. How about a video game one? Uh, I keep thinking about Zelda. You know, it's so, Zelda is kind of tough, though, because he gets thrown in, like Breath of the Wild, you get thrown right into, into the mess. I just got done playing the last of us. you know, your the last of us is you you get stumbled across a smuggling job. That's your call to adventure in the beginning of the last of us. like i said, the, the this the narrative journey is everywhere, and it's fun kind of picking picking out where it is. The second stage is the refusal of the call. So once the call to adventure is given, your future hero first refuses to heed it. You know, this may be from a sense of duty or obligation, fear, insecurity, inadequacy. There could be any range of reasons that would hold the person in his current circumstances. Star Wars, he doesn't want to leave his aunt and uncle, right? That's that's originally why he refuses, refuses Uh, the Harry Potter. What does he refuse it in Harry Potter? I can't remember off the top of my head. Does he refuse what? The call in Harry Potter. What do you think? I, I do not think he ever refuses the yeah, call. No. I don't think he does either. He always stands in the face
1: of adversity. Or the faceless. That's just noseless. He knew where to stick his nose in because someone else couldn't. Ha ha ha.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. Oh, you know, he he doesn't believe that he can be a real wizard. That's the That's the refusal of the call for Harry Potter, which makes sense, huh?
1: I suppose
0: so. Next stage is called Supernatural Aid. So once the hero is committed to his quest, his guided magical helper appears or becomes known. And then more often than not, the supernatural mentor will pre- present the hero with one or more talismans or artifacts that will aid him later in his quest. So in the case, if we're going to stick with the Harry Potter mentality, because that's familiar to a lot of people, that's when Hadgrid is taking him, you know, down Diagon Alley to to get his stuff, right? Right. Right. Your next stage is called the crossing of the first threshold. So this is the point where the hero actually crosses into the field of adventure where he leaves the safety of his known world and he ventures into an unknown world where the rules and limits are unknown. So sticking with Harry Potter, when he crosses into the th- first threshold is when he learns about the death of his parents. That's, that's when he has to come face to face with the realization that he's not in Privet Drive anymore. He's in a whole new world where he has no idea what's going on whatsoever. After that, the next stage is called the belly of the whale. So the belly of the whale represents the final separation between the the safe known world of the hero and his self. When they get to the belly of the whale, they show a willingness to undergo a metamorphosis. Sometimes in this stage, the hero encounters a major danger or setback. Sticking with Harry Potter, this is really simple. This is when he starts to settle into Hogwarts, and he he starts to understand that he can be a wizard, and he's just kind of learning the ropes and all that. Right. That is your arrival, which takes us to Act 2, Initiation. The first part of Initiation is called the Road of Trials. and the Road of Trials, that's a series of tests that the hero must undergo to begin the transformation, Often in this the hero will fail one of these tests or more of these tests but eventually he'll have to overcome these trials and move on to the next step. So if we're going to talk about trials, let's stick with Harry the Harry Potter uh which McCalla we'll where do we see the trials? Can you think of a part in that 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 the road of trials? Um in which one? Like the in original? The, yeah, yeah, we'll go with the original.
1: So in the original that would be the actual facing the trials to get to the resurrection stone.
0: Yeah. Exactly. It, it smacks you in the face when you know it sometimes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. The next stage is called the meeting with the guy guide- goddess. This is where the hero gains items given to him that will help him in the future. Uh, resurrection stone, I guess, would be that, right? Yeah. The women woman as the temptress is the next stage in this step. The hero faces te- temptations. Um, they can be physical, spiritual, pleasurable, whatever, that may lead him to abandon or stray from his quest. We it said the woman is a temptress, but the but the these temptations don't necessarily have to be represented by a woman. The woman's the metaphor. The woman is a metaphor for either the physical or material temptations of life that the the hero is going to be in this case. If I'm not mistaken, the isn't the resurrection stone? Isn't that the one with the mirror where he can see his parents? Is that is that still the first one?
1: Uh, that is the mirror. of said yes.
0: So that's your that's that's your that's your temptation, right? He can see what it's going to be like that that may lead him to stray from the quest because he can see what can be if he, I guess, what is it? If he settles into that notion instead of continuing on to fight Voldemort, am I? Do I kind of have that right? It's been a while for me. The next stage is called the atonement with the father of the abyss. So in this step the hero has to confront and, and, and kind of be initiated by whatever holds the ultimate power in his life. And so many myths and stories. This is either the father or a father figure who has life and death power. This, this, this is the central part of the journey. Everything that's been moving in the place and everything that follows after it all comes from this particular moment. And Although we say atonement with the Father Abyss because of the time, and look, this step is really, it's frequently symbolized by an encounter with a male entity. It doesn't have to be a male. It just needs to be someone or something with incredible power. So at this point, that would be Voldemort, you know, in, 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 as a as a witch of Macaulay. After the Father comes the apotheosis, and this is the point of realization in which a greater understanding is achieved. You have new knowledge, new perception. Now you're resolved. You're ready for the more difficult part of the adventure. Which brings us to the ultimate boon. The ultimate boon is the achievement of the goal of the quest. It's what the hero went on the journey to get. Everything, you know, everything else is 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 served to prepare, purify the hero for this step. This is the type in which, like, the the hero finds the elixir of life, or the hero finds the fountain of youth, or the hero finds the Holy Grail like this is I've gone on my journey. I've defeated the enemy. I finally get the thing that I have been. Seeking for the entire time, you know? Right. I'm trying to think about Harry Potter. The love of his parents.
1: So he doesn't actually see his parents in the mirror. And well, so he he sees them the first time he sees the mirror prior to entering into the chamber where it's kept when he's down there, what he sees is the stone being pulled out of his pocket because Dumbledore had put a hex on the mirror or not a hex. He put a spell on the mirror that the stone would be given to only someone who wanted to find the stone without wanting to use it. So because Harry wanted to find the stone to not allow it to fall into the hands of this evil person, he was the pure heartedness is what allowed the stone to magically appear into his pocket. So the the apotheosis in this case is that he found, he was now the keeper of the stone and he could protect it and not allow it to fall into professor quarrel's hands because at this point he doesn't know anything more than professor quarrel. Well, I mean, actually he does, but I don't think he truly understands Voldemort at this point.
0: True. Well, and then we're at the ultimate boon, which is what the hero gets, and the stone. On one hand, the boon, but I also think that, like, in terms of like, l- rather than literal, like the elixir of life or plant or whatever, I think that part of it is. So Harry finds out that h- what made him safe, what protects him more than anything, is the love of his parents. That's the one thing he never had before because the Dursleys never gave it to him. You know. Um, and so I think personally, I think I would put the ultimate boon in as, as not just a resurrection stone, but also finding out that he has parents who love him. And now, you know, that's, that's his, I think that's his moment of enlightenment more so than finding the stone. That's, that's my take on it at least. So,
1: no, I, I think that you, you're onto it. You know, it's the, uh the whole thing about it is the defeat of voldemort and the protection of the sorcerer's stone also the house cup victory because you know volt or gryffindor for sheer dumb luck and bravery gets uh their uh their extra points that they always get every year
0: i always wanted to have these conversations about video games like this is i think it'd be so cool to analyze video games using using these literature you know they're all basically lit lit criticism theories so that brings Mm -hmm. us so we're at the ultimate boon and that brings us to the third act which is called the return act right the first stage of the return act is called refusal of the return and refusal of the return after having found bliss of enlightenment in the other world the herald finds that he may not want to return to the ordinary world to bestow the boon upon his mellow man his mellow man his fellow man The next stage is called the magic flight. And so sometimes the hero must escape with the boon. If it's something that that the gods have been guarding or, or a dangerous creature. Right. So they they found their enlightenment. They found their boon. They 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 find that they need to come back. But the path the path back isn't isn't safe. It's dangerous. Right. Right. After that, you have what's called the rescue from without. Just as they needed guards, guides, mentors, assistants to set out on the quest, sometimes they also need to have guides and rescuers bring them back to everyday life, especially if the person's been wounded or weakened by the experience. And Harry Potter, he gets injured in the battle with Coral, doesn't he? And doesn't he wake up in the hospital afterwards? Yes. And so that's your rescue from when out. He needed someone else to rescue him from there and bring him back to the infirmary. I believe it's the infirmary, you know, um, because he was wounded by the experience. The next stage is called the Crossing of the Return Threshold. In order to complete the adventure, the hero kind of has to survive the impact of of the world. He has to return with all the wisdom gained on the quest. He has to learn how to bring that wisdom into his everyday human life. And then he also really has to figure out how to share that wisdom with the rest of the world. Which brings us to the next step, which is called the master of the two worlds. And this is that balance between integrating wisdom into life and sharing the wisdom with life. You know, for a human hero that has to deal with spiritual things or let's go Harry Potter. He has to learn how to balance being a muggle and being a wizard because he still lives in both worlds, right? so he has to learn and and most of the wizards do they have to learn how to become comfortable and con- competent between the muggle world and the wizard world and that's pretty much what the master of two worlds is it's taking all the all the knowledge from the journey and learning how to how to how to dance the line between those two worlds which brings us to the very last stage in the hero's journey called the freedom to live which you know all this mastery and learning and wisdom you know, it, it leads to the hero learning to live free from fear of death, which is also known as the freedom to live. Um, this we we commonly call this living in the moment, you know, neither anticipating the future nor regretting the past. So hero's gone on a journey, he comes back, he's reconciled everything he learned and did on the journey, and he's ready to just move on with his life. And that, my friends, is the hero's journey. And I would think that you could see these bits and pieces in movies books video games absolutely everywhere right right any steps in there that are interesting to you uh,
1: that's such a loaded question
0: i know i like to lo- i like to ask them every once in a while
1: i mean it's hard to just focus on one aspect of it because without like that each aspect has its own importance in the entire <clears throat> journey i mean the hero's journey without the temptation or the conflict would not really be much of a hero story true you know them just dying and not like that the no resurrection so to speak it would be you know if they actually like the hero just died you know it's like oh oh okay cool
0: well, you know, i was I was gonna route us back to journey for a second, but i I think I'm gonna bring us to the gaming question of the week because I think it fits in really well here. what which is more important or which comes first? The action or the story. What's more important? action or story?
1: I think that really is dependent upon the person playing and what they're hoping to achieve within the game. Because you have to take into consideration, you have a lot of games that are multiplayer where the entire game is about action. There's no story, you just go, you kill people. Now, if you're playing a game more as like a single player or a single player with multiplayer aspects such as this case, I definitely think that the story is the most important part because if there's no story that really, I I mean, based on, you know, story, so to speak, you based on just visualizations or the novelization, however, whatever you want to call it. If it doesn't have that story to draw the player in, there's really no hook. There's nothing, there's nothing pulling them in and saying, Hey, continue to play so you can find out what happens. It's more of just, you know, there. I mean, but then you have games like hack and slashes that are no, they don't necessarily have a story. You just hack and slash. And that's the game.
0: It's a tough question, honestly. I've been thinking a lot about it. I-, I wanted to make a distinguish between types of games, right? Because you talked about multiplayer and, and and games like that. And I was thinking about the concept of eSports. We don't play games that have stories that are eSports. eSport games are all action. You know, your Rocket Leagues and your War Zones and, and your overwatches of the world like all those games are pure action and no story and then you have games on the very end right um that are complete stories so i'm games that don't give you much like i was thinking about are you familiar with the game thomas was alone at all negative so thomas was alone is an indie pc game and literally you are a square that does puzzles with other squares but it tells a very unique story about like isolation and all this and it, but it doesn't do it with much. Like there's not much of the gameplay. You're a square that can move. And I don't want to give more away from it beyond that, but it's a game that has no action. It's straight up story. And so realistically, I think both kind of fit fit it. I, I don't know if I would put one over the other, because there are times in which I don't want story. I don't want to have to invest in anything. And that's when I sit down and I play Rocket League because I can I can just pick it up, have fun with it for, you know, a five minute match and put it down and go back on my way. And there are other times in which I want to sit down and invest in something. And a game like Journey that we're talking here is perfect for it. You know, I got to sit down for two hours, get lost in a really beautiful game with you know, beautiful visuals, beautiful music and, and be done with it. You know, this was not an action game in any way, shape or form. It doesn't have a lot to that. It is, it is mostly a story. And I just think that it's going to depend on what you're in the mood for to answer the question, you know?
1: Absolutely.
0: That's, that's it. And do you have a preference though? Do you think you prefer one style over the other?
1: I mean, again, it all it all comes down to the mood. Um, I mean, I often play multiplayer games, but I'll tell you that there's often times where I don't feel like playing with anyone. And those are the times when those single player games are the best. I mean, point in case trying to get through uh, or not trying to get through, but uh, playing through the Star Wars Fallen or Fallen Jedi. Mm -hmm. Fallen Order. Yep. Whatever that whatever Je- it's
0: called. Je- Jedi Fallen Order.
1: Yeah, playing through the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. That's one that it draws me in and wants I want to continue playing. And that's, you know, it's only a single player game. There's no multiplayer aspect to it. And because the story is the way that it is, it, it draws me in and wants me to continue playing it.
0: Hey, uh, you know what game I picked up while I was on sale over the weekend with some birthday money? What's that? Valhalla! I get to play the new Assassin's Creed. Have you played it yet?
1: Oh, that. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't. I I have not played any Assassin's Creed since uh, Black Flag. Have them. I just haven't gotten to
0: play them. I'm sorry. So you've never played Origins or Odyssey? Correct. Holy hell. Seriously? Seriously. Look, you and I used to buy that for each other. That and Battlefield, we did that for a few years, where we just went back and forth on those games, or maybe I bought you the Assassin's Creed. Was that what it was? Yeah, you bought me Assassin's Creed. And you really like those, don't you?
1: Oh, I love the games. I just oh. ha- hadn't gotten around. I'd, I'd never felt compelled to spend full price and never caught them on a good sale. I do believe that I have Odyssey now. Um, I think I have more than just that Honestly, I'd have to go back and look at what I have. But it's just that I haven't wanted to play console as much and i don't currently have them on pc but i do intend on getting back to console because that's where i've been playing star wars
0: you are missing out i love both those assassin's creeds you are seriously missing out they are so they're so good i loved oh man my god i can't well okay all right i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop yep
1: back to this game i promise i'm gonna stop Back to Journey.
0: I don't want want to talk about Assassin's Creed. Too bad. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back to a Journey, right? March of 2012, it was released. And and what's, I mean, what, what, what else can we say about how it was received? I mean, it got a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 from every publication. Every version of it on Metacritic is 92 out of 100 for its ratings. And you know, I normally we pull our reviews and we pull critic reviews and we pull gamer reviews, but in all honesty, it's like the same thing over and over and over. And so what I decided to do this week, uh, and and look, we're already probably running longer anyways, because I've been ranting about things that I love all day, is I found a small sampling of some of the gamer reviews on the Steam version that you picked up. And I thought that we could cover them because pretty much every review you're going to find everywhere is going to resemble these, right? So this first one from G on Steam. Rob, why don't you take this first one and 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 share with our listeners how people feel about Journey?
1: Sure thing, Dave. So Nkinji on Steam writes, it is one of the most memorable game experiences I have ever had. The unspoken bond you create with your companion is really unique, especially when you're communicating with nothing more than chirps. I have never felt so deeply attached with another player as I did in this game. Definitely worth the price.
0: I agree. Definitely worth the price. Uh, take the next one. Keep, keep on going. I like listening to you.
1: Sure thing, Dave. So Negative KD on Steam writes, The first time I played Journey was on the PS3 when it was first released. I enjoyed it so much, it easily became one of my, like, top five video games of all time. It's been quite a while since then, and I simply remembered it as a very good game I remember loving. I started wondering if it's still worthy of the top of all time list. I wasn't going to buy it for PC, because honestly, why would have I if I already have it? But I am lucky enough to have friends who hate having money (laughs) and got it as a gift. Man, that must be nice. I know. Continues on to say, of course I played it, and all I have to say is yes, it very much deserves a place on the top of all times list. 2012 me had a good taste in games after all. So Negative KD then continues on to say, God, the snow part still gets me every time, especially when playing with people who also try to stick together and make it super sad. Which is really interesting because Journey doesn't have chat or other ways of interacting with the surrounding and players. All you can do is scream at the world and hope the world screams back at you. And sometimes that's perfectly enough to create a deep, emotional connection. 11 out of 10 would scream at the world again.
0: <laughs> well, that's all you could do in the game. So, So Lex here on Steam wrote, It's short but intense and especially memorable. This is one of those experiences that every gamer should experience once in a lifetime. This game is literally beautiful. And I'll wrap it up with one more review from Delphine. Delphine wrote here on Steam, eight years after release, after having bought it and played it on PS3, PS4, Epic, and now Steam, after what is probably my 30th, 30th playthrough, this game Still manages to move me, touch me, and give me hope and strength in a way that no other game has ever done before in just a span of three hours. One of a kind, truly a gem. So let me ask you, Rob, did the game move you? you? Did you feel it give you hope and strength?
1: I mean, I, I didn't really get that deep into it. I did see as I was playing it and analyzing it. I did see how the game could be taken as kind of that metaphor of no matter what life throws at you, you continue pushing on and that even in darkness, there is light to be found and to strive for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you find it moving? I mean, look, there are a ton of reviews that say people, you know, it, it made cry. In fact, uh, if I remember correctly, out of 25 people that playtested the game, I think they said three playtesters cried at the end. Uh, so there's a statistic for that. I'm not going to pretend that I cried again, but did you did you find it moving? Did it did it look the the musical score is really good. And at the very least, you and I have played music for most of our lives, and I—I I think I can speak for both of us in that I say, music is moving. Did—did did you feel like it all came together nicely in that respect?
1: Oh, absolutely! The music in this game was top notch, and you said it perfectly. I didn't realize that it was adaptive based on the scenario. But I guess it does have to make sense in that or respect because depending on how long you take, the score cannot be the same length and they're not going to keep repeating the same things because it always moved forward. It always moved towards the next step. It was never just stagnant and it, it created a a beautiful ambiance. You know, you just based on what you were seeing and experiencing and hearing the music fit so perfectly It it just it all. You're absolutely right. It tied it all nicely together in a neat little package. It it was incredible. There is no denying it. It it was a phenomenal experience.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say that I'm I'm not going to say that like I. It's a package. It all had to come together. And and, and that's kind of that's kind of it. It all had to come together. You know, for me, I do feel it's it's beautiful. I think that this is a work of art. I think it is a moving emotional experience Uh, and for me it's the music that plays a lot into that you know more so than anything else i think it ebbs and it flows and it gives it it takes at all the right times and it it just packs a punch i got goosebumps not gonna say i cried but i get goosebumps Um, do you know what's really fascinating about goosebumps as a side note
1: it's a long-standing book series
0: it is very much a long-standing book series. I hadn't thought about the book series Goosebumps in a very long time. Thank you. I'm going to have to go read a Goosebumps book or go watch the no. movie The Jack Black. It is a vestigial response that never went away. So you know how like animals when there's something around them, they get the ha- the hair on their back raises basically. Yeah. Humans, Neanderthals had the same response and we don't need it anymore. The, the response still exists in humans and that's how it manifests itself is through goosebumps.
1: I mean, I wouldn't say that we don't need it anymore, but it, it is generally not as life-altering when they are experienced. But there are True. definitely situations in which they are absolutely warranted to happen because you are in the sense of some great danger.
0: Yep. Well, before we wrap up today's episode, is there anything that you'd like to add about the journey itself?
1: I just have to say that it, it is a phenomenal experience. It is unlike most, if not all games that I've ever played, you know, I I know this game is 100% unique. I've never played anything like this. And, you know, I normally go into this. I don't, really like playing a whole lot of different games all the time um you know i have to really want to be in the mood to do that and sometimes playing games to help with the research for the podcast isn't always exactly what i want to do and i had a not great mindset going into this one and playing it completely turned that around it was a phenomenal experience it didn't take very long at all i think i finished it in about an hour and a half hour 45 um in it was just a wonderful experience it's It's well worth giving a play. If you're into the cinematic, the the great story, just something that's not run and gun. If you're wanting something to cut back, sit back, relax, and just experience something truly artistic, give this game a play. You won't be disappointed. Well, I mean, you might be. But, you know, if, if you are, you can always tell us about it
0: statistically they're not going to be disappointed i mean look 92 92 out of 100 metacritic there are very few people that don't like this game i mean that makes that, that i'm gonna say that makes me very happy to hear you say that i one of my favorite things about doing this podcast with you is getting to share for those of you that don't know there are 11 years between rob and i And one of my favorite things about this podcast is that's 11 years plus more of gaming I have on him that I know that he didn't get to experience. And I love video games, and I want to share them with, with anyone who will give me the opportunity or the time or the effort to do so. And if I could just start with one person, which in this case is my younger brother, it makes me very happy. So to hear that I got to introduce you to a game that was just not even on your radar? Because I don't even think you knew what the game was before we started this. Am I, am I right about that?
1: I had not even the slightest clue. You told me about the game, and I asked you what it was because genuinely, even though we were talking about it, I didn't know what it was.
0: Yeah, and so it makes me so happy to hear that, you know, I found a whole, complete hole in your gaming, you know, history, and and you genuinely enjoyed it. And so if I could start with you, and other people, if you haven't played this, pick it up. You will not be disappointed. So, yay. We got one. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. Well, guys, I don't really have anything else for the game. I said earlier that I would put the uh, hero's Journey up on the website. For those of you that would like to know, that website is www.memorycardlane.com. On memorycardlane.com, you can also find our old episodes. I put notes for all my resources, all the research I do. Everything is up on um, everything is up on the website. So you have that as well. You can also find biographies about Rob and I. You can find a link to our Discord if you'd like to join us and talk about things. What else am I missing, Rob? Um, Calendar, right? Yep, calendar to see uh, what we're going to be talking about. See what we're going to be talking about. See what our gaming questions of the week are. You can submit on the website your own gaming questions for us to talk about or your own stories. If you'd like us to share your reviews or stories of some of the games we're talking about. And you can also find a link to our Patreon. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast for only $2 a month, you can do so. You can either go to our website and there's a support link to link to Patreon, or you can go to patreon.com slash trip down memory card lane. And lastly, you can also find links to our social media. I am on Twitter at David underscore is underscore wrong, where I post happy birthday wishes to video games, Rocket League stuff, and other fun anecdotes. Uh, That about sums my social media. Rob, why don't you tell them peoples what you're doing on social media these days?
1: I can be found streaming games on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z.
0: That you can. And I think that will about sum it up for today. Rob, as usual, what would you like to add?
1: Just got to say thank you to everyone who listens. I hope that, you know, we can either talk about a game that you love or introduce you to one that you didn't. Uh, We do it every week. And, you know, whether or not you're listening, we still are going to be here. Hopefully you're enjoying it. But if not, Use that information, Dave just told you. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Right on. Uh, if you haven't before, hit that subscribe button. We could we could always use more, you know, more more subscribers. And feel free to give us a rating. You know, I am very open to improving this podcast for anyone that listens. Or if there's something you do like, please feel free to tell us. Share with your friends, guys. We're, We're not going anywhere. We can only go up from there. So that'll do it for Journey. And if Journey is all about climbing to the top of the mountain, next week we are going down. One could say that we're descending, in fact. So in March of 1995, Interplay released Descent for the PC. In doing so, they released the first first person shooter that featured entirely true 3D graphics and Descent also helped popular popularize games that feature six degrees of freedom. Rob, do you want to know just how much freedom that actually is? Uh, it, it, it's a lot, Dave. Yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. So we're going to look back at Descent. It's on Steam. It's an old MS-DOS game. We're going to have some fun playing it and talking about it and talking about what it gave to the video game industry. So if you'd like to learn more about that little gem from 1995, join us again next week for a motion sickness-inducing trip down memory card lane. To the
1: thing. Ba-ba, ba-ba, ba-ba.
0: Nice.